everybody, I am Andre Harrison and welcome to episode 24 of the Motorsport 101 podcast on harrison101.com and on iTunes. I know what you're thinking, this is surprisingly frequent for us given that last time we had an episode it was basically a month between between episodes 22 and 23 we apologize for that i went on strike until ryan king promised me an alex morgan jersey oh. <laughs> i'm still waiting king i'm still waiting i know i know <laughs> let me guess i've got to wait some more haven't i yeah probably bastard <laughs> also a small round of applause is in order because like this is mr king's 20th appearance on the podcast ladies and gentlemen <laughs> oh, 20 appearances that's probably more starts than robert griffin the third will have over the next two seasons <laughs> oh man that's an nfl joke for you guys out there given the regular season starts this up and coming thursday go new england uh, <laughs> su- su- hashtag suck my dick roger goodell uh <laughs> oh god <clears throat> Uh, at the same time, I'm a really classy human being. Anyway, because we all thought Monza was such an incredibly newsworthy event, mostly for off-the-track politics, we thought we'd bundle in a second episode in a week, because I love my listeners. What could you say? Um, <laughs> so, in this probably shorter edition, but still equally poignant and meaningful, as King coughs a lung out... Uh, <laughs> We'll be given a brief review of the Italian Grand Prix, because really not much actually happened on track, but we'll, we'll cover that anyway. As Rosberg's engine went up in smoke, Hamilton took a grand slam and entered the 40-win club, and Tafosi started booing, because that's what Tafosi does. Um, as well as Oman Massa back on the podium again. And uh, after that, we'll be talking all about Deflate Gate 2. Or as, or as my cohort, <laughs> Mr. George Mullen, calls it, Deflate Gate 2 Illegally Blonde Edition. <laughs> Um, why it went along, um, explaining everything that didn't you may or may not have known about the Flategate two, why Mercs weren't punished, should they have been punished, and so on and so forth. We'll also be talking about the craziness that is Lewis Hamilton in general, and how he pretty much killed half his fan base at least for a week, oh. uh, uh, as he basically tried basically put his foot in it during the minute silence, and we'll cover all of that as well. And we'll be catching up on some of your listener questions as we go through Ask Dre and also bundle it in some Renault talk as well. And probably a whole heap of tangents and side notes. All that and more on this edition of Motorsport 101. Okay, King. Formula One was back this weekend and it was at Monza. And, well, normally we expect Monza to be a complete sink, to be a complete stinker, to be honest with you. But uh, this one was actually. Only slightly below average. Yeah, only below average. I mean, besides, you know, Mercedes completely dominating the weekend, which we saw from the beginning. But the the battle for the other podium places were actually very, very intriguing. Yeah, exactly. Um, just to be fair, like, you know, we all know Hamilton roared off into the distance. The race kind of got off to an interesting start because everyone was talking about Kimi Raikkonen um, qualifying on the front row, his best qualifying performance of the season in second place. And we all thinking, hey, if Raikkonen can get a run into turn one, who knows what could happen? So, of course, Raikkonen hits the anti stall on the grid and he's at the back of the grid at the, at the end of the first lap. Great! <laughs> Thanks, Kimmy. Thanks for killing all the intrigue about a potential race winner. God damn it, <laughs> so to speak. But um, after that, I mean, you know what's crazy, King, is that your your beloved Mr. Rosberg has now lost places on the grid for four races in a row. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, I at the end of at the end of the day, 
it wasn't his fault, but he was already going downhill. <laughs> yeah, it's like Rosberg had pretty much had the weekend from hell. He, he, you know, obviously, a lot, a lot, much was made of Ferrari's engine upgrade going into this weekend, but unfortunately, I think Ferrari made the classic mistake of grandstanding their upgrades so much. Mercedes kind of knew what was going on, so they came out with an engine upgrade of their own during Monza as well, pretty much to counter-program Ferrari at this point. So all the intrigue going into this race was, oh, could Ferrari get him at Monza? It kind of fell flat on its ass pretty early on, unfortunately. Uh, so that was one thing. And then Rosberg's engine has a water leak. It contaminated the engine. They had to put the old spec engine back in. So Rosberg was already about three tenths a lap down from from the time the weekend had even started. And, well, Rosberg could have still recovered to take a decent second place. He was chasing down Vettel towards the end there. So, of course, his engine catches fire, King. <laughs> oh, my... It 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 probably just it was gutting. It was gutting. Mm. <laughs> see, <laughs> see, just you know, Ross Rig just head straight on, and just his car literally go up in smoke. Yeah, his his engine, his championship chances. You could you know you could use that as a as a euphemism there more than anything else. But uh, it, I feel a bit bad for Nico. I feel very bad for Nico on that one. Actually, it's just he just had the weekend from hell, and he, he just had a baby daughter. You think you know Nico might come in and in good spirits? You know he was having near the baby shower, getting all these nice presents, and then no. Oh, here's your present, by the way, Nico. Oh, I hope you like second in the championship because that's probably where you're going to finish again. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Poor guy, poor guy. But uh, yeah, as a result, Rosberg was out of the race. It bumped everybody else up a spot um, because Rosberg was already caught enough behind the uh, two Williams for the first half of the race. But the undercut was apparently worth about half a minute. So after the undercut, Rosberg came out ahead of him. So he was gunning down Vettel towards the end and then his engine, I think it was about five laps to go till the end or so, something like that. And next thing you know, Rosberg's engine conks out. But hey, I was happy because Vettel finished second. Hooray! (laughs) More more ticket advantage of, Mer- of Mercedes errors as Vettel gets a better than average finish. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the Tifosi went absolutely potty over Sebastian Vettel in second place. And another former Ferrari man third. Felipe Massa still getting a lot of love from the Tifosi as well, being the former whipping boy of Fernando Alonso. I guess, guess he could get you some perks, I suppose. Like, hey, good news, Felipe. You left for, for you, you may be gone from Ferrari, but at least the Tifosi still loves you. Oh. <laughs> But uh, he <laughs> go, go on, King. Yeah, yeah. And this is the first time this year we have three different teams in the podium. Oh yeah, well spotted, King. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, first time this season we've had three different manufacturers on the podium. As old man Massa, as he liked to call himself, just about held off a rampant Valtteri Bottas right towards the end. <laughs> as Massa holds on uh, to take that, and actually with that result, Massa is now fourth in the championship. I call it, I call it, I call it the best of the rest award. It's like I, I talk about British Superbikes on Bike Live, and I talk about how the seventh place guy wins the Riders' Cup, which is basically a paperweight at this point in time because nobody wants to finish in seventh in the championship now, do they? And miss no. out on the and miss out on the showdown. So I, I call it the chase for the paperweight. Kind of the same thing here, really. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's like you know, the gap between third and fourth in terms of like over a hundred points now. So, oh god, yeah, uh, yeah, it's not exactly what you call an ideal situation there. And uh, the scariest part, mathematically, somebody told me on Ask FM this the other day was that if if Vettel had actually gotten that third at Spa at the moment, he'd be six points behind Rosberg in the championship. Yeah, 
That's scary right there. The, the frightening level of consistency from Sebastian Vettel, who not only took the second place, I think that's his eighth podium of the season um, on the whole as well. And with that result, he is now actually bettered his 2014 season points tally. And that had a double point finale, that, lest we forget. So, you know, Vettel's having a stonking season at the moment. Not to mention as well, he's now the all-time leading points scorer in F1 history after that second place as well. I know it's not really much, it doesn't really mean much because Michael Schumacher raced in an era mostly where it was 10 points for a win as opposed to 25. But, uh, hey... Little records where you can get them, all right, before Hamilton takes that one too. (laughs) (laughs) Which is just inevitable, really. But um, that was pretty much the low on the short of it during the race. I mean, Raikkonen came back to finish in fifth with you know, a nice recovery from Kimi, given the wretched start, which apparently was his fault because he pressed the anti-stool on the grid by accident. <laughs> God damn it, Kimi. Oh, my God. <laughs> but um, that was a thing. Shout out to Max Verstappen for once again being a fearless bastard by going around the outside of Felipe Nazar into turn one because why the hell not, basically. It's like, you, you know, Max Verstappen really did get all everything he knew from F1 2015 on the Xbox One, clearly. Um, <laughs> like, he, like I said, he's gone full flash F1 YouTuber out here at the moment by basically going around the outside people for no good reason. <laughs> He's doing it just to do it, so to speak, because, you know, Sky F1 loved that shit. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Hamilton taking his 40th career victory. It was a Grand Slam victory for Pole. Uh, Pole, uh, the win, leading every single lap, and um, the fastest lap of the race as well. So, yeah, a, a crazy win. Hamilton, only the fifth driver in everyone's history to have 40 wins. He's one behind Sebastian Vettel and Ayrton Senna, and as I'm sure you've probably read on the internet 15 times by now, one more win for Hamilton in Singapore, and he would actually match Senna's win record of 41 wins and 161 starts. Like I said, it actually wasn't that bad an Italian Grand Prix King. No, it was... <laughs> It was above expectations, but below average. Yeah, like it was. It was still like a five out of ten, but it was. It was like Monza's normally a four, so I will gladly take that in the grand scheme of things. Like that's an improvement. That, that, that'll bump the average up a little bit because this is this is the internet because everyone likes to rant and moan about about you know oh F one is broken and like we, we we want more of this and I'm like you people are just realizing this now that the F one's got issues and you know competition is kind of you know wrecking things at the minute like you're just realizing this realizing this now it's like Austria all over again King <laughs> yeah yeah I mean uh it the cars aren't close we we know that they're no. getting closer but they're still nowhere near close. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, right now, Mercs are, are, are leaps and bounds ahead of Ferrari, who are leaps and bounds ahead of Williams, who, on paper, are leaps and bounds ahead of Red Bull. The top four is really distant at the moment. It's closer in the midfield, I would say, but at, at the minute, the top four are very spread out at the moment, and that's probably the biggest problem we've got in F1 at the moment, and I'm sure they'll get closer in time. But at the moment, it's I, I see why people are frustrated, but at the same time, it's like, this is not new. Like, this isn't even, like, the top three for worst races so far this season. What are you guys moaning about? Did you guys watch Monaco? <laughs> like, holy crap. But um, that was that was pretty much the Italian Grand Prix in a the nutshell. There wasn't really much to report outside of that, really. But um, all the controversy came after the race. And with five laps to go, Mercedes had told Hamilton to push. 
Um, we weren't quite sure as to why. That's not a very Mercedes thing to do. They don't, they don't normally like to do what many people call run, running up the score, so to speak. <laughs> we are going out and trying to make the gap as big as possible. Something was up. Nobody quite knew what was going on. And uh, we quickly found out at the end of the race that Mercs were under investigation for having illegally low tyre pressures. This was, a, this was a rule that was brought in this weekend after Vettel's puncture in Spa a couple of weeks ago. So as a result... We've now had a situation where this rule has come in first time round for this race, and then afterwards, Mercs have broken the rules. So they were under investigation. Um, Sky were trying to pad out the time as much as they possibly could. They, they, they spent, like, I think, a good hour and a half after the race had finished, just in case a decision had, had, had come through at the track, which is ironic because they went off the air, and about 10 minutes later, the decision actually came through in the end. It was just ah. Sky missed the sky missed the boat on that one, <laughs> but um, it turns out Mercs were in the clear. The stewards deemed no further action required, and uh, here is the statement that they released on that one. And I quote: uh, "Having heard from the technical delegates, the team representatives, and the Peretti team tire engineer, the stewards have determined that the pressure in the tires concerned were at the minimum start pressure recommended by Pirelli when they were fitted to the car." In making this determination regarding the pressures, the stewards noted that the tyre warming blankets had been disconnected from their power source. As is normal procedure, the tyres were significantly below and at significantly different temperatures from other cars measured on the grid. Further, the stewards are satisfied that the team followed the currently specified procedure supervised by the tyre manufacturer for the safe operation of the tyres. Therefore, the stewards decided to take no further action. Nevertheless, the stewards recommend that the tyre manufacturer, Pirelli, and the FIA hold further meetings to provide clear guidance to the teams on measurement protocols. You hear that, King? What, 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 okay, what did you tell me after you saw the, the paper come out? What was the tweet you sent me? <laughs> there was a bus, and Pirelli were promptly thrown under it. <laughs> Pretty much, like, swiftly and efficiently thrown under that bus um, by, by Pirelli on that one. Yeah, Pirelli uh, pretty much were at fault for this. Or basically, according to the stewards, they seem to pretty much blame Pirelli on this one, effectively saying that, um, well, we, we measured them at this point. You know, this was normal. I don't know what Pirelli were doing. It's their fault. You talk You talk to the FA about this. This, 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 <laughs> one, this one isn't on us. This, 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 this is your problem, so to speak, basically. I think, I think that's the rough street translation for it, King. But um, what did you make of the investigation? Because I think... I think it was very frustrating as a fan to sit there for two hours and basically speculate over everything when nobody really knew what was going on. Yeah, it's basically for the longest time we it was basically down to sky whether what we knew or not. Where base where Ted Kravitz had to, you know, run down all the information himself, and he himself figured out that it was a tire pressure issue before the FIA even released their notice that, you know, Mercedes had to go to the stewards. It seemed very long long and drawn out and unnecessary. Yeah, I think that stewards meeting took about an hour, and I can't possibly think of why, given they've come out with this statement afterwards that uh, effectively, yeah, they did, they did this, this, and this, and, you know, we think it was parade that they kind of messed up here, basically, so, you know... If that was the case, why did Indy Merck's in there for an hour? <laughs> like, like what was being discussed? Like, what's that? Like, like what's for dinner? Can we have some of the champagne? Like, what? <laughs> I don't get it, King. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of a lot of people were saying that Merck shouldn't have got gotten off because the FIA aren't being consistent, which I also find to be a bit ridiculous. 
yeah, it's, it's, it's not as simple as that. I know I'm not going to name names it, <clears throat> game right, <clears throat> but uh, he he seemed to make a lot of uh, tweets talking about how, oh, you know, what about that time that Red Bull drilled holes in the car at Monaco? And it's like, yeah, that was legal. They changed the rules afterwards. Like, that, that's not the same thing. It's not even close. The more apt comparison, I think, was Daniel Ricciardo's fuel throw problem at Australia last year, King. Yeah, where Daniel Ricciardo's car was found, you know, illegal by the technical regulations and had to be excluded. Yeah. Similar deal here, wouldn't you say? Or yeah, it- I mean... It's down to, basically, they put the tire pressure rule in as a technical directive, which right. is, you know, an extension or a clarification of technical regulations, but that also leaves it in a gray area where it's down to the discretion of the stewards whether, you know, it is a technical regulation or not, which they obviously decided wasn't in this scenario. Yeah, so they waved this one off, basically. He's like, okay, yeah, you kind of broke a rule, but we don't think you did it on purpose, so basically, you're in the clear. Just don't do it again, basically. <laughs> oh, oh, on Peretti. Yeah, sort your shit, basically. That's, that's what they were trying to say, more more or less. And Yeah. Uh, I don't get it, King. It's like, I, I, I spoke to Adam Johnson about this as well after, afterwards, and I was just like, I, I, don't, I don't even know anymore, Adam. And I think that's the problem. I think... I think fans rightly were confused over this more than anything else. I think they looked at it and they were basically like, well, did anybody really know what was going on? (laughs) And, you know, as a natural consequence, fans were confused. They were confused and frustrated. And, you know, the internet went crazy over this because, you know, you had one side trying to defend it, saying, oh, well, look at Ricardo last year, look at Ricardo last year. And, you know, what about the holes in the floor? That You know, why are the FA so inconsistent? And... On the other side of the coin, it's like, well, well, Hamilton had a great drive today. That should all, that should be all that matters. He's the true winner. And then Natalie Pinkham was interviewing Sebastian Vettel, and Vettel was like, well, what's going to do with me? <laughs> yeah. And and everyone clamors for consistency when the system is not based on consistency. It's based on a case by case basis. Exactly, which, which it should be. Hmm. Which yeah, it should be, but people want to see consistency because they're used to seeing in other sports where, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, in soccer, if you're offside by, you know, an inch or a yard, offside is offside. Yeah, but Formula One's never been as simple as that now, has it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, F1's got like a, it's got a, a rule book that's about four inches thick. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean, when you look at it like that, you're never, ever going to have consistency in a sport that changes every year, so to speak, you know? So, yeah. Like, and it, yeah. And it's, it's not, yeah, it, it, it essentially goes down to, uh, it's even written in the rulebook that there should be no consistency at all. Yeah, because ultimately every case is different. Even if it's just by a little bit, it's a different case and you've got to treat it as such. Like, you can't base a crime on something that was done 30 years ago. That's just not how this works. Even if it was last year, the rules are different this year. So you've got to go by that set of rules. You, know, you, you can't... You can't be consistent. It's like the sport changes more than I change underwears. I mean, geez, you can't just have consistency. It's just not how this is going to work in a, in a realistic environment when it comes to Formula One, where the goalposts are constantly moving. It's just the, the natural inevitability of it all. But, um, King, would you have, if you were, a, if you were head steward, would you have removed them from the result? To be honest, I don't know, because I, I don't know everything that was involved mm. in the situation, but uh, I mean, I would like certain things to be clarified, like what penalties you could receive for certain infractions. That should not be on a case by case 
basis what penalties you could receive. Not even Mercedes knew what penalties they could have received for this. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a very good point. I mean, we don't know that. I mean, isn't that kept private? Uh, the penalties? Yeah, or something like that. Because I know a lot of people were saying, you know, I want like, people asking for the rules to be more transparent. Uh, no, it isn't private. I think they say, like, we know what the maximum and the minimum are. The, the minimum that the stewards could possibly give in any situation is a five-second stop-and-go penalty or right. a five-second time penalty, and the maximum is exclusion. They're allowed free reign for anything in between. Crikey. Now that, that's an awful lot of power. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, like How much is too much in that scenario? That's a, that's, a, that's a pretty wide margin to play with on that one. Yeah, that's a... Uh... So yeah, overall, yeah, I would like some clarification on that because that's a that, that's I think that's far too vague a range for me to sit there with confidence and say, yeah, I'm sure the students know what they're doing on this. Like even going halfway and giving the fans a little bit of perspective on this would probably make things easier for everybody in the long run, I would say, because all the all the team bosses interviewed were dead set it was going to be an exclusion. I don't I don't know where the 25 second time penalty came into things or who brought that up first, but it was confusing. Yeah, I mean, to compare it to the other deflate gate situation, it's very similar where the steward, just like the commissioner of the NFL, has basically full reign to do whatever he wants. It, it's, but it's, it's down to people's expectations of what the penalty should be and whether, you know, it aligns what actually happens on whether, you know, people agree to it or not and it shouldn't be like that there should be you know a set range of penalties that could be dealt out yeah i think i think that's i think that's a very i think yeah i think i said just just be the middlemen just just say what we what we want to expect and just you know if we knew what was going on i think everybody would deal with this a little bit better than as opposed to basically anarchy pitchforks and torches being set on fire like why aren't mercs excluded or on the other end it's like you know Hamilton should be Hamilton should be allowed to keep his win, etc. And you know we had war on the internet during this happening, and it was it was ridiculous. I think part of that is down to the circle of Lewis Hamilton, and I think that's what, I think that's what we're going to very nicely segue ourselves onto now. And King, it was a great weekend for Lewis Hamilton. You could say you could argue it was a perfect weekend given his Grand Slam, but on the other end, from maybe from more of a PR standpoint, it was a bit of a disaster, King. Yeah, PR standpoint, he basically, <laughs> I mean, he basically tossed himself under the bus. Yeah, it's, 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 it's incredible what, what Hamilton did, so to speak. I mean, for those of us that don't know already, this is a situation where there was a minute silence um, during, I think it was just called the driver's brigade, um, driver's parade for, for the race itself. There was a minute silence for Justin Wilson, obviously, and, um... You know, Hamilton had tweeted uh, some, some, you know, some endearing thoughts about about Mr. Wilson himself, and uh, it quickly went south very quickly because after the race, after he'd won, like, or even before that, I say just after that, people noticed quite quickly that um, people had pointed out the fact he wasn't wearing a hat. Oh, he kept his cap on, I should say, during said minute silence, as well as his sunglasses. And um, everyone was like, huh? Well, why is he doing that? Like, come on, man. Show a little bit of respect, basically. And not a massive deal, but something that a lot of people did point out, and rightly so. 
After the race, Hamilton tweeted the following. Guys, I honestly hadn't realized it was a minute of silence. I was so focused and listening to my music, I thought we were taking a photo. I have the utmost respect and appreciation for Justin and his family. My sincere apologies. Five minutes later, I was told the minute of silence would be on the grid, same as it was for Jules. I was misinformed. Your comments, though, and then four dying with laughter emojis. Love it. Thumbs up. This is wrong on so many levels. It's like... This is one of those things where, like, I put this on my Facebook page, and the top-rated comment was liked by nine people, and it was from Tom Dolan, who said, probably would have been better off saying nothing. And I completely agree with that sentiment. Because it's like, my my mum saw this, and my mum summed it up better than I could, where she said, it's like somebody stepped in dog dirt, cleaned it off their shoe, saw it was clean, then stepped in it again. (laughs) It's, 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 It's unbelievable, King. It's... Yeah, it's completely unbelievable. All he had to do was be quiet. No one ever cared. With with all the news that has been happening recently, it's basically, it would have been forgotten in an instant. Exactly. You know, given the given the investigation, given all of that, given the big furrow over his result, I think it would have been forgotten about quite quickly. But, like, as soon as, like, almost immediately after the race result was confirmed by the stewards, that happened. And it was like, oh, dear God, how... Like, why would you say that, Lewis? And it's just like, holy crap. It's it, it's unbelievable. Like, like, did nobody tell Lewis before tweeting this out that realizing he was listening to his music during what was meant to be a minute silence was, was only going to go badly? Yeah, it makes it sound even worse. Yeah, it's like it sounds even worse than just saying, I didn't know it was a minute of silence, I'm sorry. Like, if he said that, people would have forgiven him. And I probably would have done too. But like that is just so stupid. And you know what's funny thing was? They looked at the photos. He didn't even have his headphones in. So he wasn't listening to music. (laughs) He was on there, on the podium with everybody else, none the wiser, with his headphones dangled over his shirt. Come on, Lewis. (laughs) Come on. You're a grown-ass man of 30 years of age. Come on, Lewis. Like, you're better than this. At least I'd like to think you're better than this. Surely. I mean, Jesus Christ, King. I mean, of all the bonehead things Hamilton's done in his crazy F1 career on and off the track, this probably takes the biscuit. And he's had some bad ones. And he's had some bad ones. Make no mistake. He's had some bad ones, but this is seriously, you know, top of the list. When people look back, this is not going to be forgotten now. Yeah, it's 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 right up there with some of the dumbest shit he's done. He, this is a guy that's leaked telemetry before. This is, this is a guy that's that's made a big deal about his on-off relationship. This is a guy that went into meltdown during 2011 on and off the track. And, you know, he's had a very public falling out of his dad when he was his manager. And he went with Simon Fuller's management instead. And, yeah, like, you could write a book about Lewis Hamilton's career on and off the track uh, you know you could write a really good biography like lewis call me like we'll, we'll make all the book money on this you have no idea <laughs> like lewis <laughs> the biography <laughs> like seriously the, like, think of the copies we would sell might be some cool shit like this, this, this is like lewis, lewis hamilton my story too because <laughs> <laughs> it's funny like, i still have his original book on my shelf right now like i still have the original back from 2007 
when 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 that was first written and when you, you know, I read back through it the other day and I'm like Hamilton just comes across like this amazing humble polite warm nice guy from Stevenage and it's like god like was the PR machine that strong back in 07 king <laughs> uh I'd say Lewis Hamilton was that person yeah cuz I think we've had a really really you know interesting debate about this and it was actually a really, really. Um, it, was, it was interesting because it was, it was actually my bike life co host, Lewis Sutherby, that brought this up to me. And I was talking about this in general and Ask FM, and he said to me, like, Ron Dennis seems to have a tendency of making boring, robotic personalities out of drivers. And he used David Coulthard as an example. And Coulthard, I can relate to this because I grew up watching Coulthard race. And. Coulthard was often known as squirching in the United Kingdom back in those days. People took, the, people, people took the piss out of him back then. Like People mocked him for not being as good as Schumacher. And then, you know, he was often accused of being boring and, you know, kind of, you know, robotic like him and Mika was. And then, you know, it turns out, like, after after their careers had finished, respectively, or not so much Coulthard, because Coulthard went to Red Bull and then it just ended up being, like, this really funny old man to, like, <laughs> DC. And then you know, Mika Akkaden ended up being all these, all these commercials being hilarious and shit. <laughs> so it's like, you, you made a point, and he also used Stoffel Van Dorn as a recent example, where, you know, Stoffel, you know, obviously is r- ridiculously talented, but also completely boring in every way. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is actually pretty much true, to be honest with you. But it's 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 amazing, really, when you when you think about it. And do you think Ron Dennis may have had a say in this all those years ago, King? Because this is a guy that's been groomed from Ron Dennis from the age he was like ten, you know, like twenty years ago. Now that was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it definitely seems like there's this corporate mentality at McLaren. You can even tell it through looking at the McLaren Technical Center that you know it's very clean, minimalistic, yeah. not really much character. I'm pretty sure that's the way the culture is at McLaren as well. Yep, exactly. And um, it, it's it's a situation where, you know, you look at McLaren, you think they, they are very stuffy, very corporate. They've always been that kind of team. I mean, Ron Dennis always has a really, really high opinion of himself, of the team. You never see him out of a suit. You never see him even smile half the time. <laughs> he's, just, he's, just, he's just like this corporate minister at the moment. And, you know, like he still talks about how he thinks McLaren did a Manchester United of Formula 1. And I'm like, no. Have you seen your recent results? Oh, dear. <laughs> like less Manchester United and more Doncaster Rovers. But um, <laughs> it's... it's, it's, it's I'm, I've got a feeling this may have something to do with that. But on the whole, King, I mean, what is going on with Lewis Hamilton now? I mean, seriously, I, I just... Did you see what I said about him and Ask Event on my Facebook page? Uh, no, no. I, I'll read it out because I'm such a I'm such a good sport. Basically, the term. Somebody asked me on Ask Event about two days ago. Um, set the record straight. Like, do you actually like Lewis Hamilton? Because this is like everyone who knows me well knows I've had a long running history of me apparently not liking him. People thinking I don't like him because I don't drink his Kool Aid, so to speak. Here's what I said on Ask Event a couple of days ago, uh, and I quote. I don't like him, I don't dislike him, I think I've just become disillusioned with him. Lewis isn't the guy I saw growing up as a new fan, this humble, energetic, excited young boy from Stevenage who was 22. Now, obviously a lot's changed since then, as I'm sh- as, as what I'm sure would happen to most people who have spent nine years in Formula 1, debuting at that age, and then having the world's media bearing down on you like a magnifying glass on an ant. 
but some of the things he's done over the years are questionable to say the least, like his 2011 meltdown, his to his on-off relationship with Nicole, to all the tattoos and fashion shit, the leaking of McLaren telemetry in 2012, it goes on. Lewis is never quiet for long, and it seems to be one thing after another with him. Like, who seriously says yabish or blessed so often in public? Is Ugh. that him? Or the PR machine talking, like I so often accused him of doing when he was at McLaren? That's my biggest issue with Lewis. On track, he's one of the greatest, most naturally gifted drivers I've ever seen. But I don't know who he is anymore. And if I'm confused over the person I'm watching, how can I root for or even against him? That's me on Lewis. F1 now revolves around him for better or worse, and I just kind of shrug my shoulders and get on with it, really. He's just there to me. I await the wave of impending hate. (laughs) Ta-da! So... What do you make of that? <laughs> yeah, I'd see say pretty much the nail on the head. It seems like Lewis Hamilton was pretty much going to be the driver that Sebastian Vettel ended up being. That, you know, the world champion of our generation. Which to some people he still is. Of course, yeah. But uh, in the grand scheme of things, it's not really worked out that way. No. <laughs> But uh, that's just the way it tends to be. But, I mean, what do you make of of, of, of Hamilton now in the grand scheme of things? Uh, he's the world champion of the generation that apparently Kanye West is the voice for. <laughs> <laughs> he does definitely seem to represent that. Uh, basically, that whole, you know, gangster motif, tons of ink. I mean, I said Chris Brown's twin brother was on the podium yesterday. And I, and I think... <laughs> And that he, he looked like Chris Brown, like only with Jacques Villeneuve's hair. But it's just like it, it, it seems to have that whole mentality of "look at me," basically. Look at me with my blonde hair. Look at me with my twenty-five tattoos. Look at me with my private jet. Look at me with these fancy shades. Look at me dressing like this. Look at me getting kicked out of Wimbledon for looking like a twat. You know, it's it's it, it's it's it seems to have basically that Hamilton seems to have accepted the fact that he is the number one guy in F one now. And I think like he seems like he's willing to just be okay with that and just accept the consequences that come with that, even if people are going to be judgmental. Even though I don't think he's as popular as he likes to think he is. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel... Like, Lewis Hamlet is definitely almost, if not maybe, the most popular driver in the grid, but he also has as many detractors as fans. Exactly. Um, it's one of those things, basically, but let's just put it to you this way if he was in London and we saw a guy like him walking down the street there'd be a word for for, for a guy like him you know what that word is? <laughs> oh, God. you don't know what it is? what? fuck boy <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry it just would if he walked through Brixton like that he, he'd have he'd have stones thrown at him <laughs> feeling like a bit of a prick basically because that's, that's how we London folk are and I think it's the same deal here it's just on the whole I just think oof what a mess. Um, it's one of those things, I suppose. But, uh, yeah. We, we, we will continue to watch the continuing escapades of Lewis Hamilton, a legally blonde edition, in upcoming podcasts, I'm sure. We'll take a little break. We'll come right back with Ask Dre. The original sound will bring it down. Check it. Surprise high creature 
making. We've got a whole bunch of questions to get through. Let's get at it. It's time for Ask Dre. We haven't had one of these in a while, actually. But um, I, I've, I feel like we, 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 I've invited some questions in a couple of weeks ago. I never really got around to answering them on the podcast. I did it on the website, but never really in front of you. So we'll address these now and we'll, and we'll bash through this list real quick. First up from Connor Pink, he asks, do you believe that there's going to be a known way of preventing all incidents causing head injuries? Oh, my, I immediately go, no, it's impossible to prevent all injuries, especially all head injuries, because that's part of the driver that's always going to be exposed to some degree, even under a canopy or cockpit. Yeah, it's the closed cockpit thing for me. I mentioned this on my latest blog. Um, I called it um, Acceptance Motorsport's Greatest uh, Danger, and I, I talked about a little bit in brief about closed cockpits there. And it was, to his credit, it was IndyCar UK on Twitter that told me the famous line of, like, problem A plus solution B could probably make problem C. And I f- like as we mentioned before it's on, our, on our podcast, I never made the air. Unfortunately, we, we talked about this where we felt like, hey, if you're gonna have a closed cockpit, you've got to redesign the entire car because you've got to have cooling in the car to keep the driver safe. Because you know, obviously, you're basically racing in a greenhouse for an hour and a half, and nobody wants that, yeah. uh, basically. And you'd have to redesign the entire car, and that's not going to happen overnight, obviously. And you'd have to have a complete reset on F1 again, and. Yeah, that would be a problem. I don't think anybody would really want that. And, you know, like I said, I think having a closed cockpit in general creates more problems than it solves, in my opinion. We mentioned before about, like, ejector like a, like a seat-style explosive releases of the canopy, which, again, is dangerous because you don't know where that would end up if you put explosives on a cockpit. Who knows where that's gonna, what's going to happen with that? What if it goes into the stands or something like that? etc it could be a potential disaster there if there's a fire can it be removed quickly for example like the extra reaction time you know could be critical i mean look, look at the guy like nicky Lauda, for example um 10 more seconds in the car he may have been a dead man you know it's, it's situations like that where you think every second counts so you know if it takes five seconds to remove a canopy you could be looking at a big difference there situations like that so to speak but i think i think i'm i'm right in saying king as well that um I think the FA have got the right mentality for this. They are continuing to investigate it. They have done so for about five years now, from what I've been told. So, on the whole, it seems like the FA is going about this the right way, at least. They're, open, they're keeping an open mind to future research. Yeah, they're keeping an open mind, you know, t- looking at all the possibilities because they don't want a solution that is, you know, too complex. They don't want it to be only a Formula One IndyCar solution. They want it to be a solution for all categories. Yeah, all open wheel racing across the board. So, yeah, you know, it, it's. I'm glad they're keeping an open mind to it, and you know, they're going to keep investigating because why not? They haven't really got a reason not to. And I've I've always said it. You know, we shouldn't get complacent when it comes to safety. I mean, IndyCar now has had two deaths in the last five years, and that's tragic enough as it is. We obviously we just lost Jules through a head injury. It goes on and on. And, you know, if the FIA keeps, keeps keeps investigating, I'm all for it, and I'm glad they're keeping an open mind rather than just shutting the book on this because I think it is something that is worth investigating in the future. Um, so, next question. Owen Harrington asks, any tracks in IndyCar you'd like to see come to F1? Mm, uh, I mean... It seems like I would want it to be the other way around. What exactly. F1 tracks I want to see in IndyCar, but when it comes to 
IndyCar in F1, I'd kind of want to see an oval, to be honest. Yeah, I'd love to see an oval race. That'd be very interesting, actually. I'd love to see that. Maybe send them around Pocono or something like that and just go, hey, we're having an oval race in the IndyCar. I think people would genuinely love it. I think you'd have a much closer, more competitive race. You'd see some unique aero packages. I think it'd be quite fun to see F1 guys go around an oval. I'd love to see that one day. I think I think it would get good money in, too. I think that would be something genuinely very entertaining. Uh, shame it will never happen, but... Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, if there's one IndyCar track I'd like to see in F1, it'll be Road America, because that's going to be on the IndyCar calendar next year. I think Road America is a great track. I think it would actually be one of the few tracks that would be a good fit for Formula 1, given the amount of lengthy straights. So you would actually see some passing, which I think would be great. Um, there's no other obvious thing. I think Barber's too small. I think Long Beach is terrible. Um, Toronto's not too bad. But I think it's a bit too narrow for my liking. So, yeah, I think if I had to pick one, I'd say Road America, but I don't think there's that many candidates, unfortunately. If it was the other way around, I'd love to see some F1 cars go around some Indy car tracks. That would be very interesting indeed. Um, Miles Pardo, following on from uh, your question on finish line a few weeks ago, who will reach 42 first, Lewis or Seb? (laughs) Oh, definitely Lewis. There's there's no hope. There's There's no hope. Yeah, it's like... Here, here's hoping that, um, you know, Vell can pull off a miracle at Singapore, but no, it's probably going to be Hamilton. I was hoping it was going to be, I was hoping it was going to be a booty grind question as opposed to a race wins question. Because there, there was no specific mention of wins in the question. It was like, who reaches 42 first? Rather than like, I hope it meant booty grinds, because in that case, Hamilton will win every time. With, uh... Oh, fuck yeah. Sorry, I was just rewatching watching his video on here. Actually, my bad. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what he's doing. I think he's trying to be Chris Gale or something. Oh dear. Um, okay, uh, Richard Rosie asks: Do you think F1 is in trouble if a team with Maldonado has financial difficulties? If the amount of money he brings in can't save them? Just thought of this because I saw a story that said the bailiffs were at the Belgian Grand Prix. Now, this kind of mentions we can kind of group this into Renault in general because there's a lot going on with them at the moment potentially buying out Lotus. I think the only thing holding them back on this is is, is uh, discussions about historical payments, so to speak, with Bernie Eccleston. Um, yes. And they're in court today as well, from what I hear, regarding um, law, some kind of lawsuit king. Fill me in. Uh, apparently, they have, you know, payments that are due to creditors, which, you know, they've obviously yet to pay and could be facing administration. Ooh, that's that's not pretty. No. Um, we all saw administration what that was like last year with Cater and, and Manor. I don't think I'd, I'd, I'd want to invest in a Lotus Kickstarter of um, <laughs> of any kind or anything like that. But uh, there's, there is a lot going on with Renault at the moment. And uh, is Maldonado still getting like getting like thirty million a year in Venezuelan money? Yeah, essentially. But uh, PDVSA have decided to withhold, you know, paying Lotus during the Renault negotiations. That ain't good. It's <laughs> like, 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 guys, can we get like an advance payment on this? <laughs> like, I don't want to lose my deposit, man. <laughs> but, um, yeah, a lot going on with Lotus. For me, personally, uh, you need more than 30 million a year to run a Formula 1 team. Just ask Mana and where they're at at the moment because that's roughly what their budget is for the season. So you need more than that. And, Lotus have been limping along for a couple of years now, and this might be the straw that breaks the camel's back, so to speak. So, 
you know, whether they've got money or not, kind of irrelevant, really, given their grand scheme of things. I mean, Renault and now they're probably now, Lotus are probably now praying that Renault buys them out quick because it looks like they're under under a bit of a clock at the moment, and uh, they're yeah, Lotus might try and recoup at least a bit of their investment back before it all goes tits up, so to speak. Hey, King. Oh God, uh, I mean it. It's it's a very sticky situation. I mean, I definitely see Lotus racing next year. Whether it be as Lotus or Renault, we'll have to mm. wait and see. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a very well, very fair way of looking at it. Uh, question from Aaron Davidson: Who will win the MotoGP title? Um, so, uh, King, which Yamaha do you prefer? <laughs> hey, Rossi. <laughs> fanboy <laughs> uh no it's, it's, it's a fair question um 12 point gap between the two headed into uh big one this weekend king masano over in italy yeah um uh, big one uh valentino rossi's home track he, he like rossi lives literally 10 minutes down the road from misano and to put this into perspective they sold sixty-five thousand seats for this race last year over a hundred thousand this year so yeah the italians are gonna flock to misano in droves this weekend this is a big friggin' deal. Yeah, Rossi going there as championship leader with a 12-point advantage, and Lorenzo still obviously in the mix. Lorenzo's going to want revenge for last year given he chose the wrong tyre. It's going to be a fantastic race. I highly recommend you guys go out and see it. Me personally, I think Lorenzo will, will, will win the title in the end. I think he's got enough in the tank over a few rounds to do it. I'm not, sh- I'm not convinced Rossi's got enough pace across the board to, to, to keep doing it. But every time Lorenzo gets close... Rossi pulls out another gap again. It's, he's, he's, he's led the championship after all but one round so far this year, so who knows what's going to happen. But uh, Can we have a proper Yamaha dogfight on track, please? <laughs> that would be nice. Like Every time it's like, one guy is better or the other guy is better. Like Can we have a proper scrap for a win, please? That would be cool. I'd like to see that again. We need, we need another Catalonia 2009, I think, um, so to speak. Another MotoGP question real quick. Oh, I've actually got two or three in a row here, funnily enough, looking, looking at my list. We'll get to a couple of these later. I'll go with Jake Callahan's question. Hi, Jake. He says, favorite game of all time. King, don't say democracy free. <laughs> oh, favorite game of all time. Oh, uh, I mean, <laughs> I'd probably have to say oh, either Forza Motorsport 2 or 3. Ooh, good picks. Good picks. Both excellent games. Forza 3 when the 360 was a masterpiece of a game. Good Lord. <laughs> um... For me personally, Gran Turismo Three, I think, is is the mecca of racing games in my opinion. That's about as good as it gets. Um, if I had to throw in an honorable mention, I'd say Roll Cage Stage Two on the Xbox One, which reminds oh, no, one, sorry PS One, I should say. Good lord, what year am I in? Uh, <laughs> but um, if you haven't seen it already, go check out Grip. They 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 um on the website. That's actually going to be a spiritual successor to the Roll Cage franchise. Check them out. It looks really freaking good. I highly recommend you guys check that one out as well. Um, I might have to handle these next questions because I know you're not the biggest MotoGP guy in the world. But um, i got to ask, how is it possible for Rossi to be so bad on a Saturday but so good on a Sunday? He has two or three chances to get it right in quality but never does. That's from Luke Julian. Um, oh, sorry, Luke Julian. Sorry, I should say that's my terrible pronunciation skills kicking in there. But um, to tell you the truth... Rossi's never been that good a qualifier. Like, he has 61 pole positions. That sounds great, but he's been in 323 races. Um, to put that into perspective, Mark Marquez has 55 in 125 races. 
So almost as many poles in as third in as one third of the races, pretty much on paper. Jorge Lorenzo has 58 as well, and he's had 225 Grand Prix. So Rossi's never been that good a qualifier, and I think as the quality of opposition has got has gone up over the years, I think it's kind of exposed Rossi's qualifying problems. And I think we've got to remember as well, we're, we're also in the era of concessions where Jacali and Suzuki can run soft the rubber, so they can upset the apple cart where that's concerned as well. So. It's it's almost like the sport has come together to to fundamentally screw over Valentino, unfortunately, when it comes to qualifying. But hey, who cares? Points are earned on Sunday. <laughs> um, also, one more, get me getting out of the way. Um, Gareth Hunt asks, what do you make of Kyle Crutchlow being retained by LCR? Probably for the best. I mean, Crutchlow needs some consistency. He's been with three different teams the last three years, and Honda have been so bad this year. As a bike, I think that anyone riding for them gets a pass pretty much because the bike's just been friggin' terrible. I mean, the factory team has struggled with the Honda this year. I mean, any guy who's riding it as a customer probably gets a pass by the faults. I mean, Scott Redding and, and, and has, has really struggled this year and he's he's jumped ship. He's gone to Ducati for next year as a result already. And Crutchlow's signed on. And, you know, it'll be, it'll be fine next year. I think by default he deserves it. They're not going to get anyone better than Crutchlow on the bike anyway. So stick with him for the time being, I would say. Um, here's one for you, King. Is the move from a spec series to a development-based series... Um, the right move for Formula E after one season. Our friend of the show, Danny Brennan. Um, I'd say the move to a development series was necessary and was going to happen eventually, so it's better to do it sooner than later because once you you know stay too firmly in a spec series, people kind of stay complacent and don't want to start developing their own cars. Yeah, I think it seems like it's more of a gradual process, isn't it? Because I think they can only mess with the powertrain and the gearbox this season, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, because like no aero, uh, no aero changes allowed at the minute. So yeah, it's a gradual thing, and I know people are going to be concerned about this because the racing was so good last year, and you know Formula E was practically a spec series last year anyway. But you know, people are going to be afraid. But I quite like it. I mean, I like. I mean, it's the natural path that motorsport takes these days when it comes to development. They're taking it slow to cut, to keep the costs nice and low, and all the cars sound different now, which is, also, which is also a nice touch. So I'm not complaining too much about this one for the time being. I'm actually looking forward to seeing how it works out and seeing how things progress and who can find the advantages where. I'm looking forward to seeing who takes a different approach. That's, I mean, that was the whole point of Formula E in the first place. So, um, yeah, I'm all for it, personally. Um, two more questions. We got... Uh, Richard Evans asking, what do you make of the new start procedures, making it up to the driver to how they are going to start? Uh, as we saw in Italy, <laughs> they definitely do mean a lot because you could do it. You could, while, you know, good drivers are always good, you're going to, you know, see the best drivers in the best cars already. So it's not going to be that much of an advantage to people in, you know, worse cars because they're, probably not as skilled but mm. you know even you know the champions out there Kimmy being the obvious example here can make mistakes yeah and we saw what happened as a result we had a start that changed the uh, impact of the whole race so yeah there's something to be made of it I think the drivers will naturally adapt and get used to it anyway um, so I think it will become less of a factor over time. I mean, we look at last year when the, when the legislation came through about teams not being able to coach drivers so much anymore. Like that was going to be a game changer. It wasn't. It was just 
I think, a, a, a PR move from the FA to try and save their own skin, so to speak. But, um, yeah, I don't think it's going to make a massive difference in the long in the long run to me. And, uh, yeah, last question. Um, Johannes Larson asks, who do you think is the most underrated and overrated driver of all time? Oh, <laughs> underrated and overrated. I, I, oh, this is difficult. I'm probably going to have to say overrated. Ayrton Senna. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> We're dead. We're dead. It's been nice knowing you, everybody. Um, thanks for listening and all that. And um, you, you get my Xbox One, King. Uh, <laughs> but um, why Ayrton Senna? Because he's, you know, constantly lauded as, you know, one of the greatest racing drivers of all time. Yet, you know, some stats do say, yes, he is definitely he is definitely a great driver. But Grace of all oh, time yeah. is very pushing it, especially considering he only has three championships. And plenty of other drivers have three championships. Exactly, especially with some with more than one team and all. So, yeah, it's it's a situation where yeah, Senna gets a lot of love, but hailing him as the greatest, I think, is is, is a ridiculous sentiment. Um, I was going to say Ayrton too, but uh, I'll throw a second name in there. James Hunt is another one to me that I think is very overrated, especially in this country. It's weird that all the British veteran votes all go towards either Jim Clark or James Hunt. One is justified, the other one is not. <laughs> like, Jim Clark was amazing, James Hunt had one good season. And that one good season, you could argue he was lucky to win that title if it wasn't for Nicky's crash at the Nürburgring. And even despite all of that and the time that Nicky missed, James only won the title by one point. <laughs> I mean, jeez. And that was down to Lauda, you know, quitting at in Japan. Yeah, because God damn it, a guy put his own safety first. Holy shit! <laughs> um, yeah, uh, go see Rush. But uh, yeah, it's fucking awesome. But yeah, basically, yeah. I mean, James Hunt gets a lot of love for that. I think people like James Hunt more for his personality because we British love a renegade. Like I say before, the, the like the seventies of entertainment when it came to the sporting world was was three guys. For F one, it was James Hunt. In football, it was George Best and. I mean, motorcycle when it was Barry Sheen, and like those were the holy trinity of like British renegade sportsmen that they all liked. Like people completely gloss over guys like Nigel Mansell, who was a great driver, and like people don't talk about him, but they go straight to guys like James Hunt when Hunt had one good year. It's like good. I, I'm tired of people telling me that James Hunt was this amazing driver when he wasn't. He was he was good. He had one really good season, but he let other distractions get in the way of that so to speak um like natalie dormer's tits um but <laughs> sorry that was rushed my bad my bad sorry hemsworth um my bad don't hit me with your hammer but um most underrated that's a good question uh, underrated i'm probably as an american leaning towards dan gurney you know he yeah. has honda's first ever win in formula one he has yeah, it was Honda's first ever win in Formula 1. I think it was their only win during their initial 60s team. And mm-hmm. he also eventually won another Grand Prix in the 60s in a car that he designed himself in the wet at Spa. Ooh, nice. <laughs> yeah, and it's the last ever win by an American-made car in Formula 1. Wow. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. That's pretty cool. Um, for me, I'm going to say Graham Hill. Like I mentioned before... A lot of British guys 
a lot of all the nostalgia votes all tend to go to Jim Clark or to go to James Hunt because of his story with Louder. Graham Hill doesn't get enough love, King, over here. I'm telling you, for, I'm telling <laughs> you right now. He, he like, which is amazing, given his son was really was was really good too, and he's still relevant on TV. Like Graham Hill won the Monaco Grand Prix five times. He was a two-time world champion. He was a three-time runner-up. He he, and he has the holy triple crown of winning the Indy 500 the Monaco Grand Prix, and the Le Mans 24 Hours. And, and it was an amazing, yeah, the amazing 17-year career. He bounced back from that almost, you know, crippling injury that he suffered as well. Came back as well and still got in the points that same day. It, like, Graham Hill was a badass, man. <laughs> and he had the most amazing moustache. Like, what yeah. a guy. <laughs> I mean, oh, it, it, it sounds like... Uh, it sounds like the British public generally are very nostalgic but also have amnesia at the same time yeah they're selective with their nostalgia i find that quite weird to be honest with you but um that's just one of those things i suppose but um before we before i go real quick if you haven't seen it the bbc2 documentary of racing legends there was a second season of it and graham hill got his own episode it's 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 done over by the actor jeremy irons it's a really good documentary it's a really great watch i learned a lot about graham hill that i didn't know before um and he even drives some of his old cars and damon hill features quite strongly in it as well so uh i, I say check it out it's a it's 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 not what you call the most critical watch in the world, but it does tell a good story, and it, it was a very light-hearted, really nice watch. Speaking of reviews as well, I, I, I've had two dozen people tell me, Dre, have you seen Hitting the Apex yet? And I'm like, no, no, I haven't seen Hitting the Apex yet. I will watch it soon. Next podcast, I will give you my review of Hitting the Apex, I promise, because you know, they've seen that game, the latest MotoGP movie advertised by Brad Pitt, who was at Silverstone a couple of weeks ago, and um, a whole heap of voiceovers and clips from guys like Pedrosa, Lorenzo, the late Marco Simoncelli, Mark Marquez as well, so I'll be checking that out soon and I'll report back with my findings but um, <laughs> just before we go King, where can we find you, in case you didn't know already? Yeah, as per usual, on Twitter at Ryan Eric King and online at formulae.nyc Yep, check him out there if you haven't already and uh, obviously Subscribe on iTunes if you haven't already. Leave us a rating if you like the show as well. I'd love to hear your guys' feedback as always. Hope you guys enjoyed this bonus episode. Hopefully we'll be back next week to talk about MotoGP at Misano. And maybe we'll finally review the whole IndyCar season. That seems quite fun. Does that sound fun to you, King? Yeah, that sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, excellent. We'll do that then. So next time, an IndyCar season review and some talk with MotoGP at Misano. So until next time, I've been Harrison101, slash Andre Harrison, whoever you want to call me. He's been Ryan King. Until next time... I'll catch you guys later. Bye. Bye.